This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. So, I mean, doesn't get any cheaper than that. Second, there are creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. I'm editing this podcast from a Chromebook using the web, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, If I can do it, you can certainly do it. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more services. So you don't have to go to each individual podcast service and distribute it yourself. It automatically does that for you. So that's pretty awesome. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, I mean, it's a pretty good way to make some money. Um, And then last but not least, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app for iOS or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started or download the app for iOS or Android today. The following episode may contain language that is not suitable for certain listeners. Listener's discretion is advised. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibeze Anakor, and on this episode, we'll be talking about DC making its triumphant return to Toonami. Then we'll also talk about the Galaxy Note 20 series and the Google Pixel 4a. And then after that, we'll get into Apple's anti-cloud gaming policy. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. All right, so first up, we're going to talk about DC making its triumphant return to Toonami. So for those of you who don't know, DC and Toonami recently announced last week that in partnership with DC Fandom, Toonami is going to be running four Batman animated movies over two weeks. So August 15th and the 22nd. So on the 15th, they will run Batman Year One starting at midnight and then Batman The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 after that. And then on the 22nd, the day of DC Fandom, Toonami will run Batman Gotham Knight at midnight and then Batman The Dark Knight Returns Part 2 after that. So, yeah, I am very excited about this. But first, let me give you a bit of, like, history around DC's programming being on Toonami. So DC has had a pretty significant presence on Toonami, especially in terms of the Cartoon Network side. 
So when Toonami ran on Cartoon Network for 11 years between 1997 and 2008, there have been a lot of DC shows and movies that have aired on Toonami from Super Friends to Batman the Animated Series to Batman Beyond to Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Teen Titans, and the list goes on and on. For the shows and as well as the movies. I mean, you have Superman Brainiac Attacks, you have Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub Zero, and so many other DC animated movies that have aired on Toonami when it was on Cartoon Network. When Toonami was revived on Adult Swim back in 2012, there didn't really seem to be a whole lot of DC programming. In fact, there was only one DC show that has aired on Adult Swim's Toonami to this date. And that show is Beware the Batman that aired in 2014. And we haven't gotten a DC program airing on Toonami ever since. Toonami even missed... Batman's 80th anniversary last year in 2019. So, yeah, it's been six years since anything Batman or anything DC has aired on Toonami. So, when Toonami announced that it was partnering with DC Fandom to air these four Batman animated movies... I was super excited. I was like, finally, we're getting some DC content on Toonami for the first time in six years. So I am pumped for that. And I hope that Toonami and DC continue to have some programming airing on Toonami. I don't care if it's animated movies from time to time. I don't care if it's reruns of old DC shows like Batman Beyond or Batman the Animated Series, both of which have had HD releases recently. I don't care as long as we get some sort of DC presence on Toonami. I will be happy. And I hope that people watch these movies on Toonami so that we can get more DC programming on the block and potentially a DC show that's specifically made for Toonami. Like, that would be very awesome. We haven't gotten that since Justice League Unlimited. So that would be awesome to have on the block. And like I said in my Ballmasters segment in episode 9, so if you haven't listened to that, go listen to it. DC and Western or American animated programming deserves to be on Toonami. Cartoons deserve to be on Toonami. So like <laughs> Cartoons should definitely be on there. American cartoons should be on there, not just anime. I mean, I love anime as much as the next guy, but at a certain point, I kind of get tired of seeing the same tropes being played over and over and over and over again in especially shonen anime, which makes up 
the bulk of Toonami's programming. So yeah, some Western cartoons or some American cartoons would definitely provide some more diversity to the block. And so these movies are providing more diversity to Toonami. Diversity in terms of programming, of course. And so I am here for that. I am very excited. I will be watching... And I know for the anime fans who are looking for new episodes of shows like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Black Clover, and Naruto Shippuden, these two weeks of DC movies means that those shows will be preempted. So, sorry, (laughs) Um, but just let us American animation fans have this one. Like, we have been very starved for content on Toonami. So I would very much love to see more DC shows and movies on Toonami, some more American cartoons on Toonami, just to diversify the block's programming. And yeah, and for those anime fans who watch television, as I also explained in episode 9, Y'all will live (laughs) like Jojo will still return on the 29th of August, provided there aren't any marathons or anything like that for Labor Day weekend, which there shouldn't be because everyone's supposed to be staying inside anyway because there's a pandemic going on. So I don't foresee them doing a marathon. I could be wrong, though. If they do do a marathon, then you just have to wait another week. Sorry. But for those people who are just like bitching just about, Oh, I don't like these cartoons. Where's my anime? Like, you know, just... (laughs) I'm just gonna be drinking your weeaboo tears. And for those people who are saying, Well, all of these movies are on... HBO Max. Well, one, not everyone has HBO Max. And number two, that same argument can be made about every single anime that is on Toonami. Dragon Ball Super is streaming. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is technically streaming. Even though it is in subtitled form, it is technically still streaming. Fire Force is streaming. What else? Black Clover is streaming. Like, you know, it's just that argument already falls on its head. And then for those people who are like, you know, well, anime gets Toonami the views. Well, of course, like, it got Toonami the views because that's all they... Pretty much all they've been able to play because no one has made Western cartoons for Toonami in the meantime. In between when Beware the Batman aired and now. All of the Western cartoons that have been airing have either been comedic or if they are action oriented have been gobbled up by a streaming service. So, of course, 
anime has been getting views for Toonami because that's literally all they played for years. So yeah, cartoons deserve to be on Toonami. And if you have the opinion that they don't deserve to be on Toonami, well, that's your opinion. It's a wrong opinion, but it's an opinion nonetheless. Anyway, yeah, I'm excited for these Batman movies airing on Toonami. And of course, it starts this Saturday night at midnight Eastern and Pacific on Adult Swim. So... I will be watching. I will probably be live tweeting as they're happening. So be on the lookout for that. But yeah, let me know what you think. Do you miss DC content being on Toonami? Are you excited about the Batman movies airing? Or are you an anime fan who watches television? Let me know. Though, if you are an anime fan who watches television and is bitching about Toonami airing the Batman movies, I'm probably going to roast you, so be prepared for that. But yeah, just let me know what your thoughts are about the decision of Toonami airing Batman movies over two weeks, either on social media or on Discord. And if you want to learn more about DC Fandom, I will have a link to that in the show notes below that subscribe or follow button, depending on what platform you're on. And yeah, that is going to do it for this topic. anti-cloud gaming policy. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. Are you a small business looking for a financial platform to do business on? Check out Payment, the first black-owned financial platform where you can do things like sending invoices, accepting payments, and more features will be added in the future. If you watch Trigger Warning with Killer Mike on Netflix, you know that money stays within the black community for an average of six hours compared to the days and sometimes weeks that other communities get. So if you want to bring or keep money in the black community, join Payment, that's P-E-Y-M-Y-N-T, at the affiliate link in the show notes today. Welcome back, and now it's time to talk about the Galaxy Note 20 series and the Google Pixel 4a. So, first up, let's talk about the Galaxy Note 20 series. So, last week, Samsung had their Unpacked event, and they revealed the Galaxy Note 20, the Galaxy Note 20 Ultra, the Galaxy Buds Live, the Galaxy Watch 3, I believe, or or is it the Galaxy Watch Active 3? I don't know. Either way, it's a Galaxy Watch of some sort. 
and the Galaxy Z Fold 2, which is kind of a weird name. I just thought they would name that phone the Fold 2, but anyway. Yeah, so Samsung had their event. But I think the main stars of the show were the Galaxy Note 20 series. And we can compare both models. And while they both share some similarities, they both have quite a few differences. And some that may move the needle for people to go with one over the other. And so I'm going to compare both models. So first, let's get the similarities out of the way. The Samsung Galaxy Note 20 Ultra and the vanilla Note 20 both have the same processor. They both have the same kind of bezels. They have almost the same colors, I think. The vanilla Galaxy Note 20 comes in a a couple more colors than the Ultra does. But yeah, that's kind of where the similarities end. And the differences we can talk about right now. So let's get into it. So on the vanilla Samsung Galaxy Note 20, we have a 6.7 inch 1080p screen at 60 hertz and for the note 20 ultra we have a 6.9 inch 1440p screen with up to 120 hertz refresh rate and mind you the 120 hertz refresh rate is at 1080p like you can't use both 1440p resolution and 120 hertz frame rate at the same time. So just keep that in mind when you're buying the Note 20 Ultra. And so the vanilla Note 20 also has 8 gigs of RAM and 128 gigs of non-expandable storage while the Note 20 Ultra has 12 gigs of RAM and 128 or 512 gigs of expandable storage via micro SD card. And the regular Note 20 has a 4300 milliamp hour battery and the Galaxy Note 20 Ultra has a 4500 milliamp hour battery. And I should also mention a key difference that may move the need for some people. So the Galaxy Note 20 Ultra is made of Gorilla Glass. I think it's Gorilla Glass 7, which is supposed to be harder than the previous models of Gorilla Glass. But the Galaxy Note 20 regular is made out of plastic, at least on the back. And that, for a $1,000 phone, and yeah, we we can get into price. For a $1,000 phone, that just seems really silly to me. I think that's kind of too far of a cost-cutting measure when pretty much every single $1,000 phone that exists right now has a glass back. The Note 20 regular stands alone in having a plastic back, which may not feel as premium to some people. And when you're paying a thousand dollars for a phone, that phone better feel premium. It better feel like you spent a thousand dollars on it. And so 
Like I said earlier, the Galaxy Note 20 is $999 US or $1,000 rounded up. And the Galaxy Note 20 Ultra is $1,299 US or $1,300 rounded up. So which one of these would I recommend? Well, I'd probably just go ahead and say the Note 20 Ultra. If you're really looking for a Galaxy Note and you really use the S Pen a lot, yeah, I would suggest going for the Ultra. I think you'll have a much better experience, especially with the screen and the ability to expand the storage with the screen. It's 1440p with up to 120 hertz refresh rate at 1080p. And so you'll have a much better experience or things will feel fast with the 120 hertz refresh rate. If you choose to toggle that on, like I use the Pixel 4, which has 90 hertz as a work phone. So I kind of have an, a little bit of experience with high refresh rate screens and they feel just so much better than the 60 hertz screens that we're used to and that the regular Note 20 has at $1,000, which its competitors like the OnePlus 8 Pro and so many others that are even cheaper than the Note 20 have high refresh rate screens. So the regular Note 20 does not have a high refresh rate screen. It's 1080p at 60 hertz. So yeah, between that and the ability to expand the storage, I think those things would probably push me towards the Galaxy Note 20 Ultra. I feel like those things would be worth the $300 premium that I would pay over the Galaxy Note 20 regular if I was shopping between those two phones. But let me know what you think. Do you think that the Galaxy Note 20 is overpriced? I do, but do you think that it's overpriced? Do you think that the Galaxy Note 20 Ultra is also overpriced? Or do you think that it provides enough features to warrant that price? Let me know on social media or on Discord and we can continue the conversation there. And so next up, I want to talk about the Google Pixel 4a. And so for those who know, Google released their Pixel 4a last Monday, I believe. And it's been getting a lot of pretty positive reviews. It pretty much takes the formula of the Pixel 3a from last year and improves on pretty much everything. And so the Pixel A line is basically that uh, phone that has everything you need and nothing you don't, pretty much. And it shares a lot of common elements with its bigger brother, the Pixel 4 and the Pixel 4 XL, especially the camera. The cameras are pretty much the same on the Pixel 4a as they are on the Pixel 4 minus that telephoto that the Pixel 4 had added to it that didn't really receive that great of reviews anyway. So yeah, but 
let me go over the improvements that the Pixel 4a has over the Pixel 3a. So the Pixel 4a has a 5.8 inch screen with a hole punch camera versus the 5.6 inch screen with bigger bezels on the 3a. So you're basically getting more screen real estate and you're getting that hole punch camera which looks more modern than the Pixel 3a and even the Pixel 4. But I mean... I understand why the bezel on the Pixel 4 was as big as it is because it has all those sensors, the radar sensor and the face unlock sensor and the Project Soli uh, motion sense. So I understand why the bezel on the Pixel 4 was so big. And plus they wanted to avoid the notch that the Pixel 3 XL had because that was atrocious. But anyway, yeah, Pixel 4a, it has a hole punch camera. And with that hole punch camera, that means that motion sense and things like that are gone. There's no secure face unlock. But you do get a fingerprint sensor on the back, which is more pandemic friendly in the era of face masks. And so I think it was a pretty smart move to just put the fingerprint sensor on the back to give people a more reliable way of unlocking their phones. And so... Next up is the processor, and that's the Qualcomm Snapdragon 730 versus the 670 on the Pixel 3a. And so that will most likely provide higher performance and allow you to just run more apps more efficiently and will probably be better at managing battery life as well. And we'll get to battery and size in a minute. There's also six gigs of RAM versus four on the Pixel 3a. So the six gigs of RAM will allow you to have multiple apps open at once. Something that my Pixel 3 has that's my personal daily driver, is a lot of RAM management issues when I have too many apps open because of the four gigs of RAM that it has. And so RAM management is definitely a problem on this phone, but it shouldn't be as much of a problem on the Pixel 4a because it has the extra two gigs of RAM. So six gigs of RAM is good. And also for the Pixel 4a, you have 128 gigs of storage versus 64. I think that's wonderful. I think that should be the standard. That should be the baseline that all phones should have because 64 gigs is just not enough, especially if people are shooting 4K video on their phones and stuff like that. They'll eat up that 64 gigabytes very quickly. So that's great to see. And then we can get into battery. There's a 3140 milliamp hour battery versus a 3000 milliamp hour battery in the Pixel 3a. So it's not that big of a difference, but I'm sure that with the upgraded processor that it'll be better in managing battery life. So hopefully you shouldn't need your charger as much. 
but the jury still remains out on that. And as for colors, Google only gives you one for the 4A, and that is just black. Whereas for the 3A, it's just black, clearly white, and purple-ish. So, yeah, Google's pretty much keeping it very simple for people. They're only offering one phone, one color, one RAM configuration, one storage configuration. So, 6 gigs of RAM, 128 gigs of storage, only in just black. That's it. <laughs> That's or if you want the Pixel 4a, that's the only spec that you're getting. So I'm happy that this phone came out because this phone is actually $350 versus the 400 that the Pixel 3a started at. So $350 for all of the phone that you need and nothing you don't. And so I think this is probably my go-to recommendation for most people, especially if you're looking for a phone on the Android side. And, you know, that's something that I could probably explore in the later segment of this episode, but we'll get to that. But also, the 4A is cheaper than its biggest competitor, here in North America because the OnePlus Nord hasn't come here. And that's the Apple iPhone SE. The Pixel 4a has double the storage of the iPhone SE, even though of the base model iPhone SE, even though the iPhone is more expensive. So I think that's pretty great. And yeah, this is a phone that I would recommend that people buy if you're looking for an upgrade from an older Pixel phone or if you're just looking for an upgrade now, now, now. This is this looks to be a pretty great phone to have. And it's great that Google is releasing a low cost phone in this economy where the economy has basically been all kinds of fucked up by the coronavirus. But yeah, it's great to see that Google is releasing a phone that's less expensive than its bigger brothers, the Pixel 4 and 4X. So yeah, what do you think of the Galaxy Note 20 series? And also what do you think of the Pixel 4a? Do you think they'll be good phones? Are you interested in upgrading to any of them or do none of them look interesting to you or do you think they're all just trash? <laughs> Let me know. I would very much like to hear your thoughts on social media or on Discord and you know, we'll link or I'll link some uh, more information about these phones in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button depending on which platform you're on and yeah that's going to do it for this topic up next we'll get into apple's anti-cloud gaming policy the cells and circuits podcast will return in a moment Welcome back, and now it's time to talk about Apple's anti-cloud gaming policy. 
So for those of you who don't know, Apple recently announced that it has a policy that prevents services like Microsoft xCloud, Google Stadia, and NVIDIA GeForce Now to run games from the cloud onto iOS and iPadOS devices. So this immediately got some people really mad understandably especially for people who spent north of a thousand dollars on an iphone 11 pro or pro max or iphone 10s 10s max or even people who spent hundreds of dollars on the iphone 11 or 10 or 10r or whatever and also people who own ipads as well because those are the most popular tablets ever. So people were understandably mad that the device that they paid hundreds, if not more than a thousand dollars for, it just can't run any cloud gaming services. And this is problematic on two fronts. One, with the new console generation coming up, if people already have iPhones and they're cross-shopping between the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X, Apple may have basically made the decision for those people. And those people will probably lean towards the PlayStation side because that will work better with iOS devices simply because PlayStation doesn't have a cloud gaming service. They have a service where you can stream games from your PS4 right now, and I imagine the same thing will be possible for the PS5 when that comes out. And Apple does allow services that run off of hardware that the user already owns. So like a game console or a remote desktop client. So yeah, PS4 already does that and Apple users will have no problem with that. But if they want to run Xbox games then they're kind of SOL at that point because Apple just won't allow that to happen. Another reason why Apple's policy is problematic is because for people who are cross-shopping phones, if people need phones right now and they're cross-shopping between an iPhone and an Android phone and they're looking to try out cloud gaming like xCloud and Google Stadia and GeForce Now, Apple basically took themselves out of the picture and that person will probably lean towards the Android side. So yeah, I think that this is a very weird choice for Apple to make, especially for a company that is in the middle of an antitrust investigation specifically regarding the app store because apple wants to personally review every single app that comes through its store 
including games that are on cloud gaming services. And with the current setups of Microsoft xCloud and Google Stadia and GeForce Now, that's just not possible. So Microsoft, Google, and NVIDIA just decide to just not support the platform for playing games. Now, in Google Stadia's case, you can still buy games via the Stadia app on iOS, but you can't play games on your phone or tablet. But, I mean, you can on, like, a MacBook through the Chrome browser, but you just can't on your phone or tablet. So, that's kind of a bummer. But, yeah, people also want to see if this move is a move to protect Apple Arcade which is Apple's game service that allows you to download games on your iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Mac. And so, yeah, I think it very well could be a move to protect Apple Arcade because if the games that you can find on xCloud and Google Stadia um, and GeForce Now are degrees of magnitude better than the ones that you can find on Apple Arcade, then yeah, it serves Apple's best interests business-wise to not allow them to run on the App Store or not allow users to play those games on Apple devices. But I don't agree with Apple's decision here. I think it's very anti-consumer. I think people should be able to run whatever app that they want on their devices. And if they want to access games from the cloud, I think people have every right to do so. And so, yeah, I don't think that Apple made a good decision here. So if you're shopping for a phone or a tablet, and you want to try out cloud gaming, avoid Apple devices at all costs, at least for now. Maybe the antitrust investigation could cause this to change, but we shall see. So yeah, if you want to try out cloud gaming, get on Android. Or on the tablet side, there's still Android tablets, I guess, that are made by Samsung, at least here in North America probably Huawei and other countries, and also Chrome OS tablets like the Lenovo Chromebook Duet. For me, I have the Pixel Slate and I've played Google Stadia on it and it runs wonderfully. Or also even Windows tablets because you can run especially Google Stadia on Windows tablets with the Microsoft Edge browser. You don't even need to install Chrome to do that because the newer version of Edge allows you to do that. So you still have options, just none of them will be Apple products. Sorry, but yeah, let me know what you guys think of this decision. Do you agree with Apple's policy that prevents xCloud and Stadia and GeForce Now and services like them to run on Apple devices? Do you agree with that policy? Do you disagree with it? What are the benefits? What are the drawbacks? Let me know on social media or on Discord. And if you want to learn more about 
this policy. I will have links in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button, depending on which platform you're on. And yeah, that is going to do it for this episode. Sandra Bland, Terrence Crutcher, Trayvon Martin, Philando Castile, Mike Brown, Alton Sterling, Ahmaud Arbery, Walter Scott, Brianna Taylor, Eric Harris, George Floyd, Tony Robinson, Keith Childress, Romaine Brisbane, Betty Jones, Tamir Rice, Kevin Matthews, Laquan McDonald, Michael Noel, Michael Brown Jr., Roy Nelson, Eric Garner. These are just some of the names of people who have been murdered by police and have gotten either a slap on the wrist or have gotten away with committing such a heinous crime scot-free. If you are an American, or even if you're not an American, you should be outraged by this, as I am. This cannot continue to happen, and it speaks to a very long history of racism and police brutality here in the United States of America, and also in other countries as well. Police brutality is not a U.S. exclusive problem. It's happening around the globe. So, how can you help? stop this? Well, you can go and protest, but be very peaceful about it, of course. And if you don't want to go to the protests, that's fine. You can also donate to many different charities that are helping with the cause. If you can't do that, you can also sign petitions to help the cause as well and share those petitions and for all of these suggestions that i've made you can do all of them and encourage your friends and family to do the same because staying silent is staying complicit and we cannot stay complicit any longer this change needs to happen now And so, I just want to leave you with this message. Black lives matter, always and forever. All lives cannot matter until black lives matter. Remember that. Thank you. episode of the cells and circuits podcast remember to wear a mask 
wash your hands, and practice social distancing as much as possible. Also, if you want to follow us on social media, I'll have a link in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button, depending on which platform you're on. And that's it. I'm Chibeze Anapur, signing off. Thank you.